We've been going over the book of 1 Samuel, just really the first six chapters. There's a lot more to this book. If you're new today, we're so glad to see you. Thank you for joining us. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for you who bring friends and family and keep spreading this message because I'm guilty of it. We can get real used to just doing it for ourselves, but at the end of the day, we have to remember the mission, and that's to spread the news and keep planting and keep planting, and I know y'all do, but I just want to encourage the people that aren't here today that this, this needs to be a part of your week. This shouldn't be a monthly thing with Jesus. This should be an every week thing because you need community in your life and it matters. And I just want to encourage you to really go all in. Try me for a couple months. Go all in for service once a week and see how your family changes. Get off the once a month plan and give Jesus 100% of your month. You'll see a difference. You'll see a difference, and I've been in those shoes. I've been in those shoes. It took many years for me to see the difference, but until I engaged it differently, it, I didn't see God differently. I had to really just go in, in every way I could, at home, at church, everything. And my family changed because of it, and I changed because of it. God is not part-time in our worldly ways. God is not a comforter to keep us complacent in our old habits. God is to change you and live new. And living new takes all full submission. That's why we talk about surrender. That's why Chris Tomlin waves the white flag. That's why we lift our hands. It's all submission. And it's not full submission until it's 100% giving all to God. So I think we all have that part of our life we battle in different ways. So I just want to encourage you with that. But today we're going to go over... 1 Samuel chapter 4, we've talked about the calling of Samuel into ministry, who will become a great ruler prior to the first kings of Israel, as Israel became a united, unified monarchy, and it was because of Hannah, in between God's plan and this desired baby, to make the decision to commit the baby into God's calling that Samuel did what he did, which was taken to Eli. And last week we talked about how now Samuel was anointed and had this moment with God about, are you there, God? Like he had this moment where he heard from God. And so now the anointing that was planned from the beginning has become active. See, God has a plan for all of us, but it doesn't mean it's active just because it's there. We have to activate it. We have to activate it. One of our other friends, they say, activate a mission. That's their mission, activate it. That's good, because you gotta activate something in order for it to take hold in your life. And so when, when e, um, Samuel had that moment where he thought Eli was calling him over and over, but he realized it was God, that's when God got his attention. And now Samuel had stepped into the new, the new chapter of his calling. And so I don't know if you remember, but part of the reason God anointed Eli, I mean, excuse me, Samuel, is because he said there was going to be a curse upon Eli's house. Eli was the current uh, high priest, and there was going to be a curse because of the things that were going on in the ministry that were not part of God's plan. And so God says, I can't have that. My house is clean, not a den of thieves, and where you keep my ark has to be clean and not, not full of sin. And basically, they had corrupted the tabernacle of the temple and so he says time to bring in a new ruler Samuel well he's just a little boy so is David it starts early 
God does big things. First Samuel chapter four, this is later now, as Israel's getting ready to go fight the Philistines, Philistines, it says in verse one, now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped in Ebenezer and the Philistines at Ephak, excuse me. So they're camping out to go battle each other. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated. What? They never lose. Never say never. They were defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Oh, it's only 4,000. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? I mean, they're not used to losing. It's hard to lose when you've never done it. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of the enemy. Remember, Shiloh was the first permanent place the ark had been because they had been a mobile church up until the time they got to Shiloh where they got their first building gen and they parked the ark. But in battle, they got a little campground going, but they left the ark at the building in Shiloh, the temple. We need that, they said. We, we better bring God into this because this is, we just lost 4,000 of our own people and that's never happened. Verse four, so when people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas were with, there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Remember, these are the ones that God cursed and said something bad was gonna happen. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all of Israel raised such a great shout that shook the ground. Can you believe it, how they shouted when just the Ark came into the camp? I mean, this was faith, you know? Like, that's some zeal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if people just, we had to shush people in church? Like, if we had to shush them just to begin with, we didn't even try to get them rowdy because they just came in that way? That's what Israel did. When they saw that ark, they knew it was game time for, for the Lord's glory. So when, the, when it came into the campground, all Israel, verse 5, such a great shout shook the ground. Verse 6, hearing the uproar in the other camp, the Philistines asked, what's all the shouting in the Hebrew camp about? What are they shouting about? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid and said, oh, snap, a God has come into the camp. They said, oh, no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Game over. I think it was more like, we're doomed. I'm trying to feel how that felt. I mean, can you really scream you're doomed and mean it? Like, how do you mean it when you think you're about to die? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a blood-curdling scream, I imagine it really was. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians and all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. See, see, the Philistines were wise enough to remember what God had done in the past. They were even so wise that they saw ahead of what God was doing for Israel, even maybe before Israel was in the moment, because they had kind of drifted from needing God as much as they, they thought they were leveraging God's power in their battle. They really left him home all the time. And the Philistines were saying, I remember the God that delivered them uh, uh, through uh, Exodus from the Egyptians. Be strong, Mike. Be strong, Rusty. Be strong, Philistines. Can you imagine when you're about to die? Everybody's like, just be strong. Just be strong. Easier said than done. Be strong, verse 9. Be men. 
Be a man about it. Be a woman about it. Come on, be strong. Or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men, I'm going to add, and women, and fight. We're going to make this a, a teen thing here. Go out there and fight. That's what the Philistines were doing to get them motivated. Like the coach of the team was saying, don't be scared. You know, get up there and go get them. Don't be saying you're doomed because if you speak it, you speak death to it, it's not going to be good. So this got, got them amped up. They were ready to go fight because they didn't want to be taken out. It says in verse 10, so the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers this time. That's a lot of people. When the Lord is on your side, something's not right here. They even went and got the ark. But in verse 11, the Philistines took the ark. It says the ark of God was captured in Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They died. They just got killed in battle. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the, that's one of the tribes, so it's someone from the tri tribe of Benjamin, a Benjamite, ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head, basically running from death. And when he arrived, verse 13, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. You don't understand, y'all. They took the ark and they just slayed Israel. That's bad. That's bad. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 99 years old, by the way. 98, excuse me. You know when you're 98, you don't like to be called 99. That makes you feel old. Does it? Maybe you feel old already. I don't know. <laughs> that was just a really silly joke. He was 98 and his eyes had failed so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? Verse 17, the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are, de Phinehas are dead, and the ark has also been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell back off his chair by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken when he fell, and he died. Ew, man, that's rough. That's a rough way to go. And he was an old man, and he was heavy, and he had led Israel for 40 years. So, so picture this, okay? And it's, it sounds kind of like dramatic in the text when we read it now, but can you imagine a 98-year-old man who had been leading Israel 40 years, comes back, hears about the ark being captured, realizes the destiny of his ministry of Israel is going down the wrong direction, and he falls over, hits his neck, and drops dead. It wasn't because he was old. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, God did things a little different. And God had warned that something was coming to the house of Eli. His sons had already just died in the battle. See, God, I don't like it, but sometimes God has to change things dramatically to have change, you know? And, and I, I, don't like, I don't like death and nobody's suffering, but in the Old Testament, God did it for, for all towards his will. This was all part of the plan. These were all moments in between that had to happen 
to get to the monarchy, to get to the first kings. So he died after leading Israel 40 years. Verse 19, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near that my wife's pregnant, so I, I get this, and was near the time of delivery. And when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. And she was dying. The woman attending her said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention because she was dying. But the baby lived. And she named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Kind of, kind of down passage, you know. What a way to go. It's not really what they had planned. My title today is When Things Don't Go As Planned. How do we adjust when things don't go as planned? How do we come back from a situation that left us scratching our heads, even running away from God because we now have entered into a season that didn't go as planned? Sometimes we have that, uh, this is not what I thought it was thing. It's the enemy's way to steal your mission by robbing your zeal through fear because things didn't go as planned. Israel was dealing with the repercussions of circle this bad decision making. If I can take the whole God part out of this and still make it a sermon, bad decision making leads to repercussive consequences. And let me clarify, there's people in church that said, oh, that happened to them because they must have sinned. That's not what I'm saying. In this case, it was due to sin because they stepped out of covenant. And I'm going to get there. I'm jumping ahead. But it wasn't like God was sitting there waiting to just strike them down. That's not what it is. They left the covenant. They left the ark. They left the dependency on Jesus. And so, and so, that was a decision, and we have decisions like that where we can kind of put him in the back seat. And, and if, even if you make this um, a secular message about decision-making and goal planning and leadership and reaching your goals and getting your dreams, like your decision-making matters. So one decision kind of leads to the next, and the next decision can lead to another, and 10 decisions later, all of a sudden, a big thing has happened, and you've seen a big change transpire from 10 little decisions. Bad decision-making can wreck lives, and it was doing that here. It's not always the case, but it was the case here. Sometimes things just happen, and there's no answer. Sometimes really good things happen to the greatest people and it hurts, and there's no answer, and that's where we just fully have to give it to God. But it was bad decision-making through the house of Eli, and as a result, things didn't go as planned. God was demonstrating his power in this text, and the relevance of us living in covenant versus out of covenant from his plan. Remember when the world was tropical? It's like a canopy of protection. 
It's a prophetic visual of the seasons of what God wants to be in our life. And if we go outside the canopy, we go outside the protection, you know, like the ultraviolet light and the UV rays, and now we start aging. Like, like that's, a, that's a real thing, but it's the same thing because at once the world was tropical. And when that canopy was broken, it's significant of the same when we leave God's covenant. Now, not to jump ahead to the New Testament, where God gave us a way to get back into covenant, this was what's called the old dispensation, and it's still relevant to our everyday lives today. That's why we preach the Old Testament, but when we're talking about salvation and the covenant with God. That's the New Testament, and that we, we preach as well. But these stories have relevance to our everyday living today. Amen? Faith is easy when things are good, but when things get shaky or questionable, how will you approach being faithful? What will you do when things don't go as planned? Will you freak out? Or will you stay calm? And remember, ain't nothing but a thing. I can get through this. I've seen God do it. How smart is it that Philistine recognized God when Israel was shaking in their boots from the battle? Philistine was remembering the Egyptians losing because of God's power. So we can be Israel or we can be the Philistines in this scenario, depending on which way we respond when things don't go as Plan and it's extra hard when you're not used to losing. Some of the best things that ever happen in sports, in, 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 in business, in any type of personal growth is a setback. I don't like to say lose, fail, because failure is only if you quit. Otherwise, it's opportunity in disguise to grow. You should feel a little stress once in a while because you're learning something. That's how I feel when I got to like read these books on other people's views on the Bible. And it's just like some of it's really out there. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And I still sometimes go, God, why am I doing this? But I do read it anyway because I'm forcing myself to adapt to it because things come from it. I expand my assessment of things. I expand my patience. I expand my ability to handle stress. Like all these things happen. And they weren't used to that. They weren't used to being defeated, so they kind of panicked. They thought just bring the ark and we'd be all good. But if it's not God's plan, it don't matter if you have the physical ark with you or not. Defeat definitely doesn't make sense when you're not used to losing. Israel lost because of Eli and his team in the temple. Those were his sons. They were leading Israel, and they corrupted God's house. So God had to change it. So, so if he didn't change it, they wouldn't know that he was still there. If things just always went as you planned on it, if you never tasted a setback or defeat, would you ever remember that God's still there? Has anybody ever praised God out of fear? I mean, real cry out to God, like you're scared of the unknown and that's your only option? 
I love praising God when he gives us new things and the church grows and all the things, but what about the fear of the unknown? What about the fear of compromise? What about the fear of trading your life away for something of the unknown? There's fear, and that's the kind of cry you got to get to, and unfortunately, that's what had to happen here because the Israelites were getting a little too cocky with what they knew. It's like a UFC fighter. Kirk, you like mixed martial arts? Yes, sir. When you see these guys become champion, we've been an avid pay-per-view buyer since 2007, and we actually bought it. We didn't bootleg it. Like, we we were, I I was like, Dana White, give us, like, a free ticket. I mean, this money on pay-per-views, Mike. Anyway, these fighters, when they are working towards the belt, they're hungry. They're going after it. They're desperate for change. They're broke, literally, in their pocketbook. They need some cash money. They're broke. They're giving their life to this. They're going all out to this. And then they win the belt. They get money. They get um, some fame that's not helping them. They get attention. It's any really celebrity situation. But these fighters specifically, they get the belt, and then they get used to winning And then they get used to winning all the time, and eventually someone comes who's been watching them the whole time while they've been watching other things. You getting this? While Israel was just counting their blessings, the Philistines were scoping out how they fight. While Israel was just saying, God is good, let's go party. Let's go make it a den of thieves. Let's change, let's change the text into what we want it to be. The Philistines were saying, I know who they serve, and they're distancing, they're distancing from the God who rescued them out of Egypt. The Philistines were seeing deeper into the truth than they were in that moment. Now, they didn't serve God, but they knew the power of God in that situation. The taste of defeat is a hard pill to swallow when you're Israel in this season. And that's what happens to the fighters. They lose the belt because they become so confident in their own ability, they forgot what got them there. And that could be any sport. That could be anything. When you forget what got you to where you are, you start going downhill. You start going downhill. And that's what happened. Sometimes the best place to grow in defeat, sometimes the best, excuse me, the best place to grow is in defeat because it's an opportunity for correction. Did you know the Bible says in the New Testament that your Father, Jesus, Lord God, loves you, and if you endure chastening from God, he deals with you as with sons. For what son does not get chastened when he needs correction? If my kids need correction, I'm not a good dad if I don't give them some correction. If I just let them act a fool at seven, they're gonna be total monsters at 20. You know, if I don't raise them up when they're in elementary school, toddlers, they're going to be a hot mess when they're 20. I don't want Hophni and Phineas in my house. So it's my job as Eli. It's your job as Eli. Hide your wives, hide your kids. Just kidding. (laughs) You get what I'm saying. They let that slip through the cracks, and this was a repercussion of those bad decisions that affected the next generations. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because Eli, he just died. He's not even in the picture no more. But he is a contributor to this problem. 
And I love him. Eli was cool, you know. He used to just tell me old Bible stories in the temple, Nalani, and he was so good. But, you know, but Eli got comfortable. And so he was accountable for his sons, and they're accountable for who they're leading and such. And so when that happens, God says they have to step down. Did Israel forget the God they served and where their strength was? Where would I be if God let me win everything? When would I reach for him if I was winning like Charlie Sheen all the time? We saw how good that makes everything because he's just a perfect example of success. He needs Jesus more than anybody else because he thinks he's winning because he took God out of it, though. He's losing. And, man, he needs some carbs or something. I don't know. Sorry, Charlie. Anyway, (laughs) I need carbs. That's why I'm a little more transparent. I've been eating just sweet potato and quinoa for carbs. Nolani brought the bagels, and I said, I really want three, Nolani, but I can't eat any because I'm only eating sweet potato and quinoa for carbohydrate sources of energy. And so today I was feeling a little little laggy, Kirk. I think I need some more sweet potatoes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm good. I had a little bit of coffee. Okay. Back to the text. What will you do when things don't go as planned. Here's what Israel is saying. Where did God go? I mean, I got the ark. Where did he go? Where did God go? They lost the ark because of their commitment. The physical thing didn't make a difference because the commitment underneath what the physical thing represented had lost its value. Mike, I know you know what we're talking about here. We've seen a lot of tradition, right? And the tradition don't mean nothing if the commitment's wrong. We've seen that. We're, grow- we're growing. We're growing. We're understanding the commitment is where the value is. And so the tradition, this was the, this was the Jews' problem for, for all, of, all the way up to Christ, is that they were so committed, they were so traditional with the law, they had no commitment to God, though. There is a massive, mega difference. So now they're going, where did he go? Where did they go? Losing the ark was a big deal. The ark represented where God was, and we finally gave him a home in Shiloh, and now we called him out to the field after we already lost a little bit, and now we really lost. So what happened to the power of the ark? God said, it wasn't me. It was you. You stepped out of covenant, Eli, Eli's sons, Eli's daughter-in-law. You stepped out of covenant. I'm sure they were saying, why would God leave us? That's backwards. People say that now. Why would God not touch this situation? Why would God not do this? It's hard to understand God's movement when we're in the middle of it, and I'm guilty of it. It's, it's easy to preach about it. If I was in the middle of a, a painful season, it's a lot harder to understand why God doesn't touch as quick as we want him to. But the reality of it is we step out of covenant with God. He's not abandoning us. He never left us. He's been here the whole time. And when we only come over here to talk to him once in a while because, because his covenant's there, and then we only come to him, you know, once a weekend because his covenant's here, and we, you know, do the rest of the thing like the rest, like we're going to see a consequence of the commitment because the commitment has wavering gaps in it. Y'all getting this? This is not just a good message for coming to church. This is about commitment to God. 
And coming to church is part of it. So this ties to your full commitment to God, your daily devotion. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I don't pray enough. I don't read enough. I don't talk to God enough. I don't ever feel like I do enough. And sometimes you know, you're never going to feel like you do. But, but you need to at least have God activated and active in your day to day that you think about God and know he's with you in everything you're doing. When you get in the car, God is with me. When I go into the restaurant, God is with me. When the man cuts me off and gives me that funny finger, I don't know what that means. What's that mean when they do that in the car? God is with me anyway, and if God is with me, I can't act in myself. On my own thinking, I have to remember, as someone put it, the Bible on the dashboard. Well, that day they left the Bible at home. The ark. God didn't leave. They left God. There's some people online that have gotten so offended at me because, well, just once good, always good. You know, like, we have opportunity as Christians to make decisions. And, and when we come to the Lord, that's a great thing. And we pray that we never leave his canopy of protection. But we still have choices to make. We still have decisions to make, even in our Christian walk. If we use what happened in 1972 on that day when, when God touched me as the only thing that signifies that I'm a Christian in my life today, something's still wrong. Just because God touched you doesn't mean you're living in, in, in covenant. There's a difference. So that, that first moment should continue to carry with you in all you do. Otherwise, it becomes dangerous. It's the canopy. You like that? Like the tropical canopy? Everybody likes the tropical. Beaches, except when there's a storm, is the canopy of God's covenant. When I'm on the beach and the weather's good, I'm on Amazon, baby, looking at stuff to buy. And that's a good vacation for me. <laughs> Seriously. But when that storm comes, and we got to evacuate that thing. It can be a scary place. You ever been like in a really beautiful place and then there's like black clouds and then they come in this way? You're like, well, should we get out? The tide looks okay and you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, or at the lake that happened. Like, like that is a good visual illustration of moving away from covenant. And the storm may be pushing you. And so because you're not used to the pressure, you're walking out of covenant due to the storm that wasn't planned. What will you do when things don't go as planned? This chapter was a bit long, and it's to lead you into the point of where Israel hit the bottom. But the good news, church, is that the bottom is never the finale. It's never the end. It can really feel like the end when you hit the bottom. It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine. That guy is a liar. Would you really feel fine? Would my mom feel fine? Oh, Jeffrey, you better pack some food and he'd be sweating it. Who wouldn't if it's the end of the world? We would, I feel fine. No, that's a lie. We wouldn't feel fine. But this is, this is not the end for Israel. I don't ever even like that song, Allison. I don't know why it's even in my head. This is not the end. This is the pivotal point for Israel to transition into Samuel's leadership. 
It's a, it's a to be continued moment. It's when the ending is not as expected and quite horrific, but God has more. There's been so many times in the last few years where like one day I'm like, oh, it's really bad. And then you get a little sleep and you have a little coffee and then you go, oh wait, and the next morning comes, you're like, actually it's pretty good. Like your emotion can get in the way of God really doing something great because in the moment it can feel like the end of the world as we know it, but it's not. It's to be continued. Maybe this is the beginning of the best chapter ever, you know? Like maybe this is the beginning of the best part for Israel because without hitting the bottom, they can't go up to where God is taking them. If y'all could stand, we're gonna close this one. I know there's not too many here today, but I'm talking to y'all and I'm talking to the cameras. Now God has Israel's full attention. What's God gotta do to get your attention? To get your full attention. Well, I've seen this before and I've seen that. What, it, what has God gotta do to really get your attention for submission? Maybe in this moment, Israel is starting to remember deliverance, opportunity to get help from a God who loves them. I gotta say, it's easy to kind of do it on your own if you want to. I have a problem with that. I can just do it on my own. But lately in my 42s, my, my 40s, I say that, I'm starting to feel a little I used to think it's because I was getting weak. But Mike, it's actually because I'm getting stronger the right way. I used to think if someone cut me off in traffic, well, what's the consequence? If you're mad, you're mad. Now I think, what about my kids if they don't have a dad? I used to think if I go, 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 uh, I was telling Chloe, Caleb, how when I was like 18, there were these fences, chain link fence, and me and my buddies, we, we wanted to run to see if we could just jump it without touching. So we were just full sprint, we just, we just hurdled the thing. I mean, we did it. But now I'm thinking like, well, what if I broke something? Because it's happened. And it's not because I'm scared, it's because I'm wiser. And to my, to my dad's point, I have broken a few times, physically, <laughs> from stupidity. But the fear is no longer because of that. The fear is because I know that I need God to keep me cautious. We need God to keep us cautious. We need God to keep us cautious in our decision-making, the decision-making that's affecting our children. We need to be cautious. Man, Caleb just went to this like four-day camp during the week and you couldn't believe the garbage he brought home with these kids' mouths. I mean, the things they were say, saying. Uh, I, so one of them said, I want to start drinking some alcohol. He's like nine. Like, what is he hearing at home? One of them's like, can we cuss here? Like, like, like he's asking the teacher, can we cuss here? Is that okay? Like, they're just trying to be cool, you know, but they're picking that up from something. That's bad decision-making on someone else's part. That could be Hophni and Phineas running out of covenant in 20 years because Eli 
didn't say, hey, that's not the way. So that hurts to see, but you're living in that world. We're living in that world. So our mission is to, is to bring it full circle and bring the people into God's house so that this scripture and this word can touch them and be a mirror to their lives, to be continued. Your life is to be continued. And now that God has Israel's full attention, God's gonna do something great next week. It's like a, like a sequel to the end of the series. You gotta wait till next week to find out. The worldly influences have maybe led you astray, but what will you do in this moment when things don't go as planned? This is your moment to choose. Where do I go from here? Let's say that together. This is my moment. Everybody online, this is my moment. Everybody in the hallway, everybody at the desk, everybody cleaning up for church, this is my moment to choose. What will I do? I have a choice. And I make the decision. And if it's be God's will, then it shall be. But I have to choose. What will it be? Will I sit it out? Or will I go all in? Because tomorrow is no guarantee. Will I sit it out again and wait for next week or next year when my life gets better and it stays the same and another year has gone by? Or will I go all in? What will I choose? Choose because things are going to happen and you're going to have to make a decision. How bad do I want this change? And God says, when you get it bad enough, I'm going to show you that I've been waiting for you to come back to my covenant. So next week, we're going to see it. We're going to see what God does for Israel because this is out of love. It's out of love he did this. It's not because he's trying to hurt them. He loves them, and he loves them so much. He's got to push them back a couple notches to bring them up 20 forward. God, we come to you right now. We thank you for zeal. We thank you for life-giving word that can wake the most carved, dehydrated human flesh and wake up these bones because this mission is alive and we are thankful that your word is a mirror to keep us on the right path, to keep us in covenant and not let this leave our way of thinking in our Monday through Friday that this is an everyday thing. We're so grateful, God. We, we laugh at the small things of, of, of the, the, the darts that the enemy tries to throw. We laugh at that, God, because we know that's just the devil, and the devil is a liar. So we're thankful, God, that you're in control of the big picture. You're in control of the big picture. And I'm going to take the big picture into Monday. I'm going to take the big picture into the, into the fall. I'm going to take the big picture into the ministry. I'm going to take the big picture into my children, and I'm going to make sure it's all for your glory, God. We give thanks for that reminder. And if the house of God could say, in Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen.